Grab a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start a new series today and kick off that series, Fan or Follower. Uh, you are dressed up in your favorite team jersey, or perhaps the only jersey that you have that's not your favorite team. I didn't see any Cowboys fans laying in the parking lot, so hopefully everybody's all right uh, this morning. We sometimes treat the Bible like a magic eight ball. We ask a question, we shake it around, and we open it up, and we let our finger fall to the answer. A man asked God to lead him one time this way, so he tried this method. He opened his Bible, and he put his finger down on Matthew 27, 5, and it said, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went out and hanged himself. Well, that person didn't like that answer at all, so he was muttering, that can't be right. And so he did it again. Lord, lead me. He opened his Bible and it fell to Luke 10, 37. You go and do likewise. That's called the skip and dip method. We kind of skip through the Bible and we dip in here and we dip in there. And so one of the convictions that uh, I, I have is we need to go through God's word systematically and not just the skip and dip method. So we've been working through entire books. We went through Habakkuk, we went through Ecclesiastes, and now we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is one of those great practical books that is as relevant today as it was at the time it was written. Listen to the description of Corinth in Paul's time. It was a city of wealth luxury and immorality to live like a corinthian meant to live a life of debauchery all over the roman empire women who were promiscuous or of loose morals were often called corinthian girls the reason for this is that the temple of aphrodite on the acropolis there were 1000 corinthian girls employed as prostitutes there were also young male homosexuals used by the corinthians as prostitutes to become corinthianized meant a person was living the most licentious debauched life possible much drunkenness fornication robbery thievery idolatry and immorality of all kinds went on here does that sound familiar at all sex crazy sports crazy Affluent and cynical, the citizens and visitors at Corinth like to tell of the notorious priestess of Aphrodite whose studded sandals spell out in the dust on the street, follow me. And so the Corinthians, uh, the believers in this city, were in conflict. They had the, the world that's very much like the world we find ourselves in today, but there was also this call to follow that way, and so we are called in many directions. Now, Paul visited Corinth on the, for the first time on his first missionary journey, or second missionary journey, recorded in Acts 18, about 50 or 51 AD. Claudius was the Roman emperor at that time. And so Paul wrote our current 1 Corinthians, the book that we have, from the city of Ephesus. So he was in Ephesus, writing to Corinth about 56 or 57 AD. So about six, seven years after he started the church there, he wrote back. Now, Paul wrote to deal with problems that plagued the people in Corinth. Do you have any problems? Have you ever been in a church that had any problems? No, I don't mean this one. I mean all the other churches, right? Uh, no, we have problems. And in the church, there are problems. That's why Paul wrote this. And so what he does is he wrote the, the, the Corinthian church, which was composed of many uh, house churches that met in Corinth. They met in different homes. But he wrote to the church in large. And he, what he did was he wrote to them about the problems they were experiencing. So we're going to find some very practical helps for us in our lives for the ways that we live our lives. In fact, in Acts chapter 18, the verses on your notes, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. 
do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Have you ever felt that you were alone in your faith? That everybody you, in your circle at, or at work, you're just kind of all alone. And you feel that you are uh, uh, the only believer, the only one that's there. And Paul felt that way, in fact, so much that the Lord had to come to him and say, I, got, I have many people in this city. You're not alone. In fact, you have, there are other believers here. You may not know who they are or where they are. And so what did Paul do? He stayed a year and a half teaching the word of God. Now listen. There is a difference between being a fan and a follower of the Lord. A fan is someone who sits in the seats and they cheer and they wave their things and they wear the shirts and they do all this stuff. They buy $10 hot dogs and $50 drinks. But they're not the ones playing. And if it's too cold, too wet, too hot, too whatever, I don't have to go to the game. I don't have to show up. But the players are there and they're on the team. And so really what we're going to do is we're going to be challenged between being just a fan and a follower. Between just observing uh, Jesus from a distance and really getting into the game. Uh, By the way, do you know what the Washington team and the Chick-fil-A manager have in common? Neither one shows up to work on Sunday. (laughs) We're called... We're called to show up and work. That's why we're walking through First Corinthians. I know they're playing tomorrow. It doesn't matter. I, we're walking through First Corinthians. So let's jump in. We're going to read First Corinthians verses 1 to 9. Really, it's, it's Paul's report on the state of the church. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. And there it is. That's what it means to be a follower. It's the lordship of Jesus. We have been called out not to just be a fan, but to, but to follow Jesus as our Lord. And you know what that means? It means following him in all things in life. Not just the things we like or the things that we already have down. It means turning all of our life to him. So that's his introduction. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's a couple things we understand as we begin about what it means to be in the kingdom, what it means to follow Jesus. And the first one is this. We are called, Paul says, to be his holy people. Now, some versions say saints. Saints is an anglicized word that doesn't really appear in the New Testament. It means holy ones. That's what what the word means. And so what God has called us to do in verse 2, it says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, we are holy in Christ Jesus. And what's he calling us to do? He says you are holy in Christ Jesus and you are called to what? Be his holy people. It's not holy person it's it's people listen we are in this together christianity is a team sport 
It is not a Lone Ranger event. It is a king, a body that we are a part of. We are part of a, of a kingdom. And so the very first thing Paul says is that we are called, but we are called to be holy people. Now, Paul was called to do something different. He said in verse 1, I'm called to be an apostle. It's a self-designation that he gave himself. Now, he knew that he wasn't one of the 12 original apostles. He said, I'm a, an apostle that was called out of season, or I wasn't called with the rest of them. And the, and the apostles were those, if you remember, in the New Testament who had seen and been with Jesus and had seen the risen Lord. That was a qualification to be an apostle. Paul was an apostle as one who was sent. He was a church planter. He went out, he established the church in Corinth. So, unless someone has seen the risen Lord, bottled form, they cannot be an apostle. Did that happen to Paul? Absolutely. The road to Damascus, a blinding light came, and who did he see? He saw Jesus, the risen risen Lord. And so Paul stresses over and over. He uses the word apostle in this epistle. Say that ten times fast. (laughs) Don't say that ten times fast. He uses the word apostle in this letter more than ten times. You know why? He is calling us to the lordship of Jesus. And apostle means he has the authority to do that. Because, oh man, we don't like authority. We don't like somebody telling us what to do, telling us what, uh, you know, where to go, how to behave, what to do. And so right at the very beginning, Paul is saying, I have the authority in this letter to tell you the things that you need to do to be a holy follower of Jesus. The word holy ones means set apart. It means we are different. We are, we are pulled apart and different from the world. And so when Paul says, you are sanctified in Christ, Jesus, what does that mean? Is that the power of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit's job? Is to make us holy. That's his, his, why we lean on him, why we surrender our lives to him. And so Paul said that happened in Christ, and now you are called to be his holy ones. And his holy ones means that we are separated from all those around us. The follower of Jesus, our lives need to look different than the, uh, those around us who don't know Jesus. Our lives need to uh, bear different fruit. We need to have different attitude, different spirit, right? All those things. And so what Paul is saying is, you are called to be a holy people. You are called to be separated. Now listen, he's not talking about physical separation. He's not saying you need to move and get out of where there's no believers to where there are believers. He's calling not for physical, but what? For a spiritual for a moral, for a commitment to live differently, even in the midst of all that we see around us. Remember where Paul is, or who the church, he's in Ephesus, but he's talking to the church in Corinth, and where are they? In this, this evil, sick society. All the stuff we see in the news could have been on the front page of the Corinthian Times. Who is it that calls us? It's Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 1 on your notes. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And what does Jesus say? Come, follow me. He doesn't say, I have a great plan for you to follow. I have a great direction for your life to follow. What does he say? He says, come, follow me. The call to follow is always the person of Jesus. He said, I will send you out to fish for people once they left their nets and followed. At once they left their nets and followed him. You need to underline that word at once. Oh man, how we love to put off at once. We are so much procrastinators when it comes to doing what God calls us to do. 
We are so wanting to delay our obedience. We are so willing to put off until tomorrow what we know we should do today. But at once they left. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat when the hired, with the hired men and followed. you got to love this scene. Where are they? They're at work. And Jesus comes and says, what? Follow me. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, they get out of the boat. His dad's in the boat with the hired men. His dad's working with the hired men. He says, where have those boys gone again? They're always walking off the job. They, went, they left at once, right? And there they go with Jesus. They didn't delay. And so when Jesus calls us, he calls us to follow him immediately. What happens the longer we think about it? We're not going to do it. We're going to rationalize. We're going to make up excuses and reasons why we can or don't have to do it. We are sanctified, what? In Christ Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what Jesus calls us to. It's the call that changes our lives. It's the call of Jesus to come what? Come follow me. Here's just a short clip of some 2019 NFL draft rookies. When they get the call, one you'll hear on the other end of the phone, I want you to watch their reaction. All right, so there's Rashawn Gary, who's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he is emotional. His dream is coming true. It's a very emotional moment for this young man who, from New Jersey, played his game in, in Ann Arbor. It's amazing, and look at the emotion of this young man. His dream is coming true, and he's going to the Baltimore Ravens. Nice. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man! Yeah, good. Oh, uh, hey, you gotta give Stanley CPR or what? Stanley's having a fit. He's having a fit. All right, get ready to come in here and work now. All right. All right, I'm ready, man. Put me to work. I now. know you are. Was there one person in that clip that was not excited? They got the call to join up with the team. They're like, oh, okay, I'll get back to you tomorrow. No, what'd they do? They screamed. They cried. They could, these are grown men, right? And they're weeping because they received the call. And that was to join a football team. How much more should we be excited when we get the call to follow Jesus? How much more should we be invested when Jesus says, you come follow me? We just break down and say, Lord, you're calling me and I want to follow you. And I I invest my entire life into that. And so Paul says that uh, you are called to be uh, to uh, this holy person. But he says you're also called in verse two that you to the church of God. He says the church what belongs to God. It is a divine creation. We are called to more than a, a sports team. We are called to the very creation of God himself. And that is the church. The next thing that Paul tells us is not that only are we called to be as holy people, right? It is this group of people. It is, a, it is a church of God. It belongs to him, but that we are equipped to function as God's people. Now, here's one of the things that we get in trouble when we know that we are part of this church. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to, to, to give. I don't have any way to participate. And Paul's going to address that in a few chapters. But what happens is we are equipped to function as, first of all, God's people. It belongs to 
him. And when we think of church, we should think of those who are called out, not the building, it's the what? It is the people. It's the people that are gathered to worship God. In fact, in Acts chapter 18, the Lord told Paul, all those in every place, so if you feel like you're alone in your faith, if you feel like you're alone where you live during the week and you are, are struggling, remember you belong to the church of God. It is his church. It is his creation. Right? Jesus said, I will build what? My church. And so this is part of the solution that the church belongs to God. And the Corinthians need to recognize that they are no longer the center of their religious universe. Listen, we are part of a team. We are part of a group. And no longer can I think it all revolves around me. I'm just a cog in the machine, but I'm a part of this kingdom. I'm part of this church. And so Paul says you're called to be the, what? the church of God. Listen, we have everything we need to thrive until Christ returns. That's what Paul says to them. He says, you do not lack anything as you eagerly await for Jesus Christ to be revealed. We are looking forward to the time of what? Jesus' return. But in the meantime, we are not to be just standing there looking at the sky. Wow, is he coming today? I wonder if he's coming tomorrow. No, what Paul says, you don't lack anything. What? So that as we are eagerly waiting, we are working in the meantime. And he has, has equipped us, and that's what Paul's going to talk about in Corinthians, is God has given us the things that we need to uh, work. He's given us the equipment. You have not been called and then uh, placed on the field without a helmet or without the proper equipment. You're not just, God doesn't say, I'm calling you to the team and I'm just going to put you out there to fend for yourself. Paul says, no, is that we have been what? We have been equipped to function as God's people. You have been equipped to function. Where does it come from? It comes from the grace of God. In verse 4, he says, I always thank my God because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. It was God's gift of grace, first of all, but it's also him that sustains us. And so we are equipped to function as God's people. Listen, don't ever, don't ever say, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer the kingdom. I, as somebody else is extremely talented, but I don't have that talent. You do. You just have it in different ways. Not everybody can be the quarterback. Everybody has to play different positions. And everybody has to do their part for the entire team to win. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, you have been equipped to function as this holy people. And we're going to see that through the book of Corinthians. We are, going to, we have, we are equipped both personally, how to overcome sin and live that godly way that he wants us to live, but also equipped in the body of Christ. And so Paul, what he does is he thanks the, he thanks the Lord. He says, I thank God for you because of the grace given to you. Now listen, Paul is not thanking, the Corinthian, thanking God for the Corinthians for them. Remember, they have lots of problems. They have lots of factions. They have a lot of things going wrong. And so Paul wasn't thanking God for the Corinthians themselves, but concerning the Corinthians. Lord, I thank you for these people. They're all messed up. They have all kinds of things going on. But I thank you for them. I'm not thanking you for the things that they are doing. In fact, Peter O'Brien says this. In this Thanksgiving, where Paul gives Thanksgiving, there was no attention paid to the achievements of the Corinthians for good reason. They really had nothing to be congratulated on. 
And if you ever find yourself in a place where there's not a lot of things going on, you're like, there's really not a whole lot going on here. You are in the place where the Corinthians found themselves. That Paul, as he was giving this thanks, as he was thanking God for them as the church, he was getting ready to unload on them all of these things that were going on. It was like he was kind of greasing the wheels before he got started. So I thank the Lord for you, which is what we can do. And we can thank the Lord for each other. We don't necessarily thank thank the Lord for what we do, but we can thank the Lord for each other, which leads us to the next thing that we know from this opening is that we are blameless in spite of our fumbles. Man, you need to write that down. You need to underline this. Paul is is going to go in through the book of Corinthians for most of it, and he's going to list one problem after another, after another, after another, after another. But look what he says in verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazingly, in the game, how cheers can go to jeers. (laughs) You're watching your favorite team play and you are like, I got to go to the bathroom, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go because what? They're ahead. And then they start losing, and you'll use every excuse that you can not to have to go back in front of the TV. Oh, man, this is so painful. Right? We're cheering one moment, and we're jeering the next. Or one, one player is the star one moment, and he fumbles the ball, and everybody's on him, right? One player does something, he gets ejected from the game, and up and down, and up and down, and up and down it goes. And isn't it like that in the kingdom? One minute you're the hero, and the next minute you're the zero. Someone once said, the rocks they used to build your monument, one day they tear them down, they start throwing them at you. That's how it works. We are such fickle people. And so what Paul does is, he says, okay, there's these things going on, but he wants to remind us that what? We are still blameless in spite of our fumbles. Colossians chapter 1 says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And what does it say? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you're in Jesus Christ, in him, you are presented as blameless before the Lord. Does it mean you do everything perfect? It doesn't mean you never fumble. It doesn't mean you never mess up. But in Christ... Remember, we are forgiven. There's no penalty for us. And that's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. And so what he says in Corinthians is this, is that he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God working in us, right, to move us on to that end. And there's this blamelessness of believers. It's a legal declaration that there is now no penalty for you. In spite of all that we've done, the things that we've done are not held against us in the court of law, in the God's ultimate court of justice. So Paul wants to remind us that we are blameless in Jesus in spite of our fumbles. And what he says is that we will be blameless on when? On the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, one of the themes of Scripture is this, God's faithfulness and our unfaithfulness. We see that through Scripture all the time. 
God's faithfulness and our unfaithfulness. In fact, uh, we've been looking at that on Sunday morning. God gave the promised land to Israel. He says, you're going to stay there as long as you're faithful. What happened when they were unfaithful? <laughs> Went into exile, right? It's always conditional. But we are so unfaithful, but God's faithfulness remains. And in God's faithfulness, what did he do? He sent Jesus. And he sent Jesus to what? To bear the penalty for our sins, to make us holy, to make us blameless, so that what? We can stand and we can look forward to the day of his appearing. And Paul says, you Corinthians, listen, I know you got problems. We're going to detail some of those, but listen to me. Jesus well, he's the one that will make you, help you to be blameless on the, day of Jesus, on, the day, on the last day. It's rooted in what? It is not rooted in our behavior, but it's rooted in God's character. He says God is faithful. Calvin said this, It's important for Paul to write this to prevent them from being dejected when they came face to face with all the faults that he will reveal to them later on. All the things that Paul's going to tell the Corinthians later on, all the faults, all the things, they can start feeling dejected and they can start feeling what? Man, it's not worth it. I'm just going to give up. And Paul says, no, remember, I told you at the very beginning, you're blameless in Christ. Now let's deal with some of your problems. Now let's deal with some of the things that you're doing. And we do the same thing in our own lives. We have to understand where we stand with Jesus, where we stand with God because of Jesus. And then when God calls us, when he challenges us, instead of us becoming dejected, we can hit it head on and say, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm going to move forward in this. We all have things that we need to change. We all have things that we need God to work on in our lives. But we also need to know that when we are in Christ, that's the condition. You you can't misunderstand or miss the condition. In Christ, right? His spirit is in me. I've received that gift of salvation in Christ. I'm what? Blameless. And so when I'm faced with those hard things that I'm not dejected. Do you know why we don't want to face hard things in our life? It's because we take it personally about our person. Guilt is for the things I've done, but shame is about who I am. So, when I sin, I am to feel guilt over the things that I've done, because I, what, I'm blameless in Christ. But shame says, you're an awful person. There is no hope for you. You are worthless, you are unlovable, you are unforgivable, and God doesn't want to have anything more to do with you. And if we cross the line from guilt into shame, we will never find the life that God has for us. And so guilt is, yes, we are to feel guilty. If someone said guilt is like a fever to the soul. If you have a fever, you know something's wrong in your body. You have an infection somewhere. There's something that's not quite right. Guilt is that feeling in our souls that something is wrong, but I need to go to the great physician in order to have that thing healed and my wholeness restored. And so faithfulness is God's character, first of all. And second, what does Paul do? He reminds them it was God who called them, and God is the author of their spiritual standing. And look what he says in verse 9. God is faithful who has called you into what? What's that word? Fellowship. God has called us not just to a team, but to a family, to a relationship. He has called us into relationship with him. In fact, it says he has called us into fellowship with his son. Talk about an awesome calling. You have been called into fellowship with Jesus. 
In fact, Paul ends this first section with Jesus Christ, our Lord. There it is again. That word Lord that we're going to see over and over and over and over. Because for Paul and for us, we are to live under what? The lordship and the authority of Christ. And that's what Paul's going to call us to do. He's going to call us to live under the lordship of Christ. You know what lordship means? Lordship means a couple things. Lordship is, first of all, I acknowledge his divinity in the Old Testament, who was Lord. God was the Lord. So when I say Jesus is Lord, it was a statement of his divinity that in the early, in the uh, New Testament times, the life under the Roman Empire, you had to say Caesar is Lord or else you're going to lose your life. But Christians are like, no, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is divine. He is God. He is divinity. That's, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. But lordship also means that he has authority. He has authority over my life, and I surrender my life to him. And lordship also means that he gets to call the shots. And this is where we wrestle. And this is where we struggle. The very first temptation in the Garden of Eden was to eat from the, uh, the, the tree. And what was the promise? That you will be like God. And that's the struggle that every human has ever had since the Garden of Eden. Who is going to be God? Is it going to be me, God, with the little g, or the Lord God with the big g? Am I going to serve big g or little g? That's where the conflict is. And so Paul is going to challenge us to, to step out and to be separated from the world, to be separated from life, just to be different. He's going to call us to follow. And really, what the following means is that we recognize the lordship of Jesus. But, oh man, we love the saving part, don't we? I'm going to be in glory forever. My sins are forgiven. But not so much the lordship part. You can't separate them. Jesus is the one who calls us to what? Follow him. Following him means when he goes this way, I go that way. When he goes this way, I go that way. And I don't debate and I don't argue. And I don't say, Lord, do you really know what you're doing? Lord, do you, I really can't go that way. That's what under the lordship of Jesus means. That's what separates the fans from the follower. The follower does what it takes when it takes, the time it takes, and for how long it takes. That's the difference. Jesus is the one who calls the shots. If you're playing on the field and you have a team, and actually this gets people in trouble, the players all the time, and what if they want to just do whatever they want to do? You see them in the huddle, they're about ready to uh, do the next play, quarterbacks give them all the things, he's doing all the signals, and one guy's like, you know, I'm supposed to go left, but I think I'm going to go right. He wants me to go deep down the field, but I think I'm going to stay right here. What's going to happen to that guy? Get out of here. We do the same with Jesus all the time. Jesus says, I want you to, I want you to go deep. Oh, Jesus, I don't think I want to go that far. That's a long way. 30 yards is a long way down there. I don't want to go that way. I think I'll stay right here. No, I'm telling you, you need to go. Or you, or you need to cut to the right. No, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't want to go to the right. Left is my good side. I want to go that way. No, it doesn't work that way. You see, most of our problems in life, when it comes spiritually and with holiness, right, uh, those kinds of uh, spiritual things would be solved if we remember to live under the lordship and the authority of Jesus. Every day I have a battle, an argument, and it's not with Christy or the kids, but it's with myself. 
(laughs) And you do too. Lord, you don't really mean this. You don't really want me to do this. Are you sure this sounds, this sounds crazy? There's no way you want me to do this. And what am I doing? I'm not surrendering to his call and his lordship. I want to do it my way. And so I do. And, and I do it my way and things end up miserably. You see, the difference between a, a fan and a follower is that the, the fans are not in it for any other reason than the entertainment. But the follower is in it to play, or the, the follower is the player who's in it to win the game and to be in the game, and to contribute to the team. There was a woman who was forced to go to a football game with her grandchildren, and somebody asked her grandma, how'd you like the football game? And she says, here's what I figured out. Football consists of 22 men on the field desperately in need of a rest, and 40,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. Kind of describes the church. We've got a couple people doing all the thing, and there's a whole bunch of people that need lots of exercise. That's the difference between a fan and a follower. The fans are in the crowds, in the stands, but the followers are the players on the field. I just want to close real quick with a passage in John chapter 6. And John chapter 6 demonstrates the, the distinction between just being a fan, a, 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 someone who, who likes watching, and someone who really participates in John chapter 6, this is the, the, the section where Jesus is teaching on the, on the bread of life. And he talks about my flesh is food and my, my blood is drink. And, and like as Jewish people, they're just like, what is he talking about? This is crazy stuff. And sometimes we do that too with what Jesus says. We're like, Jesus, this is crazy talk. What are you saying? In verse 60 of chapter 6, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? We've all been there. Can we be honest? We've all been there. Jesus, this is a hard teaching. Paul in Corinthians, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. Listen, we aren't the first ones to grumble about the word of the Lord. People have been doing it since Jesus' day. Jesus said, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending, ascended to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him or what? Called him into this relationship. Now look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples, what did they do? They turned back and no longer followed him. You see, when the going got tough and the word got challenging... The commitment level was raised. The call to follow, to do the thing that Jesus was asking to do. When it got to that point, it says that many of his, what? Disciples. This just wasn't everybody. This was even people who had been following him. And if we're not careful in our lives, we will follow Jesus to a point And we will say, Jesus, I'm not sure I want to follow you there. I'm going home. Jesus... I'm not sure I want to hear that. And that's why we're walking through books of the Bible. Because if we don't, we'll never get to the things we don't want to hear. We all want to hear Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. But we don't want to so much hear Jesus say, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. That's a hard teaching, Jesus. I think I'll go back with the sheep. I'd rather hang out with that shepherd guy because he's supposed to make me lie down and give me all this stuff. 
And Jesus says, but this, but this is the difference between just being this casual fan or being a, a follower under the lordship of Jesus. Because listen, 1 Corinthians will challenge us in some very deep personal ways and some very deep personal things. And we need to be ready for that and say, Lord, yes, but your word, Jesus just said that, the spirit gives life and the words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and they are also life. And if you want the life, Jesus came to give us. We're going to have to look at those things that are very difficult, and we're going to have to wrestle with them. And we're going to say, Lord, if, if, if this is what you say is true, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to follow you there. Or otherwise, I'm just like these disciples who said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Lord, I am out of here. I hope after a few weeks, you have a vision for your life of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Fans are so fickle. They just are. Now, there are diehard fans. Their team can have a losing season. Their team cannot be doing so well. And they still are fans. You and the maroon and white today understand that. They're still fans. But there are those fans that we will only go so far... The players will be there no matter what. The fans like, ah, mm, kind of nice, but ah. And we follow Jesus. He's saying, I don't know. You don't have the option just to be this fickle person. I want you to give all of your life to me. I want you to surrender all that you are to me. I want to, I'm going to call you to do some hard things. I've been convinced, and I see people posting things on Facebook, and all, you know, they're like, oh, the Lord came through again, the Lord came through again, and did this, and did that. I'm like, you're not worshiping the Lord, because the Lord is not going to do everything for you. I never saw somebody post, you know, I've been praying about this, but the Lord didn't come through. That's the Lord we serve. He doesn't always do what we want. doesn't always do what we want. And if your God is always doing something you want, you are not worshiping the God of the universe. You're worshiping the God of your mind. Listen, we all need to worship the God who sometimes tells us no. And oftentimes maybe tells us no. That's the true God. Oh, I I prayed for this and I got this. I prayed for that and I got this. Well, then you need to pray some different prayers. See, your God will tell you no. I'm not giving you that. And you're you're not to go there. You're supposed to go here. That's the difference between a fan and a follower. You see those followers or those fans they're also blind sometimes because they like their team's like terrible yeah but there's always next season right and there's, oh, there's always next season there's always next season no there's now and god's calling us to follow now i hope you're excited i'm excited to get through first corinthians we're gonna be challenged there's gonna be some things but at the end god's words are life they are spirit And if you have problems in your life, the lordship of life, God will pull you and call you and you will do those things and you're going to be coming out and be like, man, how have I missed this? This is the best life possible when I do things Jesus' way. Would you please stand and we're going to sing. You have a prayer need, the guys will meet you in the back to your right. We just maybe need to confess